Welcome to ADHD Flourishing about living awesomely with autism and ADHD. You deserve recognition for both the challenges and the superpowers of this unique neurotype. Let's celebrate wisdom and support from real life stories and talk strategies to manage the difficulties of day-to-day life so we can move beyond that to thriving and building a sustainable and awesome life. If you want to be here, you are accepted here and you belong. I'm your Audi HD host, Mattia Murray. Let's do this. You are not a burden. Trigger warning, before I get started, if hearing me say you are not a burden feels like a big emotional experience for you, or if that is hard to hear or take in, like if your body is having a Ugh, or no or clenching up response at all when you hear that, overall trigger warning for this episode, not saying that you shouldn't listen to it, but I do feel like there's going to be a kind of emotional crescendo here, and you might want to wait until you're in a space where you can process emotions in a way that feels safe to you. Also, general content note, I'm going to be talking about a meltdown I had last week and previous bouts of depression and suicidal ideation, not in great detail in the latter case, but I will mention them. I'm also going to be mentioning some intrusive thoughts that I had during the meltdown, some relationship stuff, and an oblique mention of sexual assault. So again, if you're not in a place to hear any of that right now, I recommend coming back to this episode later. I'm going to share about a meltdown last week. It started after my partner brought up a pretty big and difficult conversation topic at, I think, around 11 p.m., which we've already established is too late for that because I had a meltdown last time this happened also. I did say early on in the conversation that I wish they'd bring up this topic during the day instead, but part of the problem with it being late at night is my regulation skills are lower or worn out from the day. So I didn't have the awareness to set a hard limit or boundary. I didn't have access to that information in that moment. The conversation itself wasn't even that big a deal. It's one we've had before. And it's a particular anxiety my partner was bringing up that for them seems to come up more at night. And at a systems level, we really need to find a way to help them with the emotional side of things without trying to solve the practical problem when I'm already winding down for sleep. This is to say, The topic wasn't automatically triggering. The setting wasn't triggering. I knew better than to try to dive into problem-solving mode. If I had stayed focused on the emotions at hand, we probably could have wrapped up quickly and gotten to bed. But as we were talking about potential solutions, my partner said something that triggered me really hugely around a specific disability issue of mine, which again, if they'd said at 11 a.m. instead of 11 p.m., I probably would have reacted very differently. The reason I'm not going into detail about the conversation itself is that even though a specific line in it did trigger me, honestly, it could have been just about any topic when I was in that state. And my partner didn't do anything wrong besides maybe starting the conversation so late. We both knew better in that case, but they're autistic also, and we both get into this focus mode. And in this case, it spiraled into a non-useful place. I'm going to describe the overall process of the meltdown, what I noticed in my body and brain, just kind of the overview first. First, I was already starting to feel defensive and shut down during the conversation. This was a blend of the physiological side of what happens when my body is starting to wind down for sleep and the actual defensiveness around the conversation itself. 
when my body is heading towards sleep, I have trauma that happened in that state and my body can really panic if I feel unsafe when really tired. My body was feeling stuck in this conversation and in this position, sitting on the couch. In retrospect, getting up to get water or a snack or really moving position at all probably would have helped me with this somewhat. It added to that previous physiological trigger for me of what happens when my body feels really tired. Then my partner said something about my disability that was really triggering for me. Again, it was a fairly innocuous question, but I went into full overt defensive mode, including the whole, how could you even ask that kind of mode? Because I thought this was a question they would implicitly know the answer to, which yes, rational me right now can recognize is not reasonable. This was the beginning of the meltdown for me, the point of no return where it was going to happen. I started crying really hard, really fast. This effectively stopped the actual conversation. My partner tried to comfort me, but it was too late. My body was already in the meltdown spiral. And at the same time, I was energized enough by the adrenaline to attempt to make a state change. So I said I was going to bed. I got ready for bed and spent some time on my phone doing calming things. When my partner came to bed, I cried some more and we talked a little bit more. And finally, I fell asleep for real. So that's the broad overview in terms of chronologically what happened. What I'd like to dive into today and what sparked the topic of this episode is the particular intrusive thought loop I found myself in around feeling like a burden and that being strongly connected in my mind with thoughts of not being here. One of the things that can happen with a meltdown for me is sudden extreme suicidal ideation. And I don't mean extreme in terms of life-threatening, but extreme in how intense and urgent and intrusive it is. It's definitely a form of intrusive thought combined with a thought loop. And I do want to point this out because you might, if you have anything similar happening, if you have any kind of similar meltdowns, you might not recognize it as a meltdown. You might just think of it as these like random sudden suicidal bursts that go away. And so I think it's important to know that this is something that can happen during a meltdown. One of the thought loops that feels slightly funny in retrospect is that when I was trying to calm down enough to sleep, I was playing a game on my phone. I usually save my coins in the game for higher stakes moments, but I literally had this thought, I may as well spend the coins in case I die soon. Like, oh my God, brain, you fucking drama queen. I went ahead and spent the coins. Side note, there's a reason a lot of us end up with a dry or dark sense of humor. I have to be able to joke about this stuff to release some of the tension around it. And I totally understand why many folks without trauma or without mental health struggles are totally horrified by that kind of humor. The way I would have described it in the moment is that I was feeling like a burden, but I am a burden is a thought, not a feeling. And the thought that often comes after it for me is it would be easier if I were dead. Both of those are just shitty, internalized ableism, bullshit, capitalist, eugenicist nonsense. I have a strong memory of having a really similar type of meltdown with another partner over a decade ago. But at that time, I had an incorrect bipolar diagnosis. So I'd been told to take thoughts related to suicide or self-harm seriously. So when I was having this very similar style of meltdown a decade ago, I told that partner I was suicidal and they watched me like a hawk. And then I woke up the next day and felt totally fine. 
that pattern of experiencing extreme unmanageable emotions and then being fine after a state change like a nap or a full sleep or, you know, within a few hours of waking up, that is not what bipolar looks like. But with the severity of the intrusive depressive thoughts, I understand why a mental health professional would take that seriously. And by the way, in my 10 years of receiving care for bipolar, at no point did any mental health professional use the phrase intrusive thoughts. I found that term on my own and it explained so much for me because in some cases I wasn't actually depressed. I was just in this really extreme combo of trauma response and total overwhelm and a monotropic spiral. In other words, a meltdown. The other thing I experienced during this recent meltdown that was different than usual is that I was almost compulsively saying what I was thinking. The trauma response side of things used to be so much stronger and I would go into this total shutdown and or inability to speak temporarily. Now that I feel a lot safer in general and maybe because my partner's autistic and we generally have good communication, my brain didn't have that same sense that it's not safe to speak. It didn't shut down the speaking part, which was almost unfortunate because I was laying there in bed and I'd have a thought looping and looping, and then I would say it out loud. One of them in particular, part of me was like, oh my God, don't say this. But I said it, at which point my partner asked, are you trying to say mean things? And I said, no. So that's another example of good communication on their part. The next morning, my partner apologized for saying the triggering thing. And I said, sorry, I had a full on meltdown. And they were like, that's why I apologized. It's okay for you to have a meltdown. I am still not used to that shit, even though we've been together for over six years. I almost tried to record this episode the day after the meltdown so I could get it out right away because it feels like an important message, but I was feeling too raw to do anything besides jot down some notes to make sure I remembered the big stuff. Even if I'm feeling mostly better after a meltdown, there's this sort of physiological effect for at least a day where my body feels tired and doesn't really want to do stuff. I did go on one walk to do a simple errand and it felt good to get out of the house, but then it was sit and chill and hang out with the cat for most of the day. Feeling like a burden, by which I mean thinking the thought that I'm a burden, is viewing myself through a shaming lens. It's the societal idea that it's shameful to be disabled. It's shameful to have a lot of needs, to struggle in ways that affect your ability to be a productive cog in the machine. The problem when I'm already in a meltdown spiral is that the ability to emotionally regulate basically disappears entirely. (laughs) That's kind of baked into the definition. That makes it easier to experience the intrusive thoughts as true or at least worth taking seriously. After all, when my body is in this stuck state or my brain is in this looping state, it feels very believable that a bunch of shitty things I'm absorbed from the culture are actually true. It did not feel possible to access tools that made me feel better outside of listening to a podcast on my phone while playing a game, which was entertaining and distracting. After saying some of the intrusive thoughts to my partner, they fell asleep. And then I started crying again hard enough to wake them up and they cuddled me a bit. And that next round of crying I remember was because of that thought that I was a burden. That was the feeling or thought that was really getting to me. And when I finally felt like I might be able to fall asleep, 
after taking a muscle relaxant, by the way, because my neck was also cramping up from pushing through in physical therapy, which was really not helping. I was just laying there repeating to myself over and over, please help me fall asleep. I wasn't asking anyone in particular. I just knew from experience that I'd feel better after sleeping. The intrusive thought that I did thankfully manage not to say is as I was lying there and as I was falling asleep, I could see no way out of this loop. There was no part of me that thought I was going to wake up and feel better. Well, I guess the part that wanted me to go to sleep felt that, but for most of me, most of my experience was just, this is permanent. This state is permanent. I'm going to feel this way when I wake up. I'm going to keep feeling this way. So the intrusive thought that I was having because of that was we should just break up. As I was managing to fall asleep, I was still thinking there is no way this is actually going to feel better in the morning. And the part of that that ended up being a little true is that while I did feel a lot better and less stuck upon waking up, I did want to talk to my partner a bit about the feeling like a burden thought. Their reassurance helped a lot and kind of helped unstick some of the remaining stuff because this wasn't purely random intrusive thoughts or purely a meltdown experience. It obviously triggered some deep fear or internalized ableism in me. I needed to hear that reassurance to be able to let that go a bit more. Thankfully, the day before I had actually scheduled a really light day the next day because I was going to be teaching for two hours in the afternoon in another teacher's space and I wanted to leave ample time to go over my notes. So I was able to have a really slow morning and take care of my body. After showering, having coffee, finishing my slides for the presentation and eating, I was feeling a lot more normal. Not great, but like pretty okay. I don't know, five out of 10, fine. The reason I wanted to share this experience in detail is for three main reasons. One, a lot of us have similar or overlapping experiences. And I especially wanted to share that idea that intrusive thoughts or thought spirals are not the same as actual depression or suicide risk, even though if I were to purely say those thoughts out loud, anyone else would have thought I was in danger. I wasn't actually planning, but damn, did those intrusive thoughts suck. Two, I'm not depressed. My mood has been quite good lately. I wanted to share that we can have meltdowns and shutdowns almost out of a blue sky. It's not just about overall stress load or mood. And three, I want to destigmatize and unshame a pretty normal ADHD experience. Moving on to a bit of conjecture, I wanted to say that when I've heard autistic friends without ADHD talk about intrusive thoughts, it often sounds more repetitive. I was having a bunch of repeating intrusive thoughts, either cycling through after just a few times or changing every little bit. And I do wonder if that's part of the ADHD brain jumping around or throwing out novel ideas. When that's happened before, I've had what I think of as almost single intrusive thoughts. They don't repeat, but it's almost like my brain is throwing out more and more horrifying things like, Ooh, you're not reacting to that. How about this? It's very creative and awful. This experience wasn't quite like that, but it was kind of like a thought would loop a few times. Then I'd impulsively say it, and then my brain would move on to the next one. And it's actually the first time I've had quite that exact experience. There are a bunch of reasons that it feels important to me to share this, even though this does feel vulnerable and a bit embarrassing. 
Another one of those reasons is that people approach me to work with me. People are taking in the stuff I'm putting out there around ADHD. You're just seeing the external facing side of my life. I really don't want you to walk away at any point with the impression that healing means not having issues anymore or not having, I don't always use the word symptoms, but you know, especially if you have other mental health diagnoses, healing does not necessarily mean no symptoms. Trauma healing doesn't necessarily mean that you go have a great relationship with the people that traumatized you, right? I'm still no contact with my parents. I feel physically a lot better than I have in my entire life. And I still have joint pain and joint instability and get injured frequently. There is this place that you might imagine that you might get to at some point. In a lot of ways, I've done a lot of those things and reached a lot of those points. And I can still have a really fucking bad day in which I almost burned down my entire life in a conversation. In the meltdown I was describing, my life was not actually in danger, even with those intrusive thoughts, but my relationship fucking was. If I'd said all of the things I was thinking, we would have been having a very different conversation the next morning. Because of the state of mind that I was in during the meltdown, I did not have access to tools. Another way of putting it, the way I was able to explore it the next day in a different frame of mind, to use a parts work idea, what part was I blended with in that state? such that I can't even see any other viewpoint or imagine anything else. It's just this internal vortex that it feels impossible to get out of at the time. Based on what I know about the brain, I could be wrong, but based on what I know about the brain and some of the particular ways that monotropic brains work, and maybe OCD, and maybe OCD has partly to do with monotropism as well, I don't know. Either way, the way that my brain works, in some real meaningful sense, it actually is impossible to get out of that state without actually changing the physiological state, right? As a hypnotist, I've learned tools that are intended to create state change. I know it's possible, but what I mean is that when I'm in that state, I don't even have the capacity to access the tools, to remember what they are, to actually do them. The only tool that I could access that I was just kind of clinging to like a life raft was I have to fall asleep. I just have to fall asleep. I know that sleeping will help reset some stuff. Even if I didn't sleep great, even if I woke up and then I just knew that any sleep was going to be a bit of a reset for me. And that was the only quote tool that I felt like I could access in that state that I was in. It feels important to say that I am mentally well as I can be more or less Maybe not, who knows, but based on my past experiences, this is the best it's been. And my mood is pretty consistently about an eight out of 10, which I think is great. My anxiety is the lowest I ever remember it being. I am not depressed. Despite that, my neurochemistry, my biochemistry is still able, not only able, but occasionally likely to put me into this stuck state where everything seems terrible. These meltdowns are akin to moments of the worst depression I've ever experienced, like the most impulsive suicidality that I've experienced. And when I have gotten very close to actually killing myself, when I was making a plan, it felt a lot like this. And I mean, I I do have specific times in my life where a meltdown has been directly related to self-harm. So looking back at what was being medicated and treated as if it was bipolar, as if my brain was just going to do this thing periodically, It was like, yeah, my brain's going to do this thing, but it's only going to do it for hours at a time, not two weeks at a time, which is the bipolar diagnostic criteria. 
The other kind of big thing I want to get out here, I know it can be really hard to view different people the same way that you view yourself. It can be hard to give yourself the same compassion that you might give to a friend or someone you love or an animal you care for. What I'm kind of trying to present here as something that I hope might be useful if you have felt like a burden or if you're experiencing those really fucking bad days, if you're having meltdowns along these lines or mental health stuff along these lines, whatever that looks like for you, what I want to kind of build this idea around so I can say that you're not a burden is to look at me and my situation and what you know of me, which to be fair is just what you've heard if you don't know me in person, knowing that my nesting partner consistently does the majority of the work, makes more money than me, is probably emotionally healthier in some ways, like basically we don't fight if I don't start shit. They're really holding down a lot of the relationship in a lot of ways, and I am receiving a lot. It's not that I don't give anything. I'm a very present, caring partner, I hope, and I am literally being cared for. So how many meltdowns like that, where I'm crying and not able to respond or even receive comfort when my partner was not able to resolve things before sleep, when I was just not able to do that, how much do you think I would need to do that before I would become a burden such that I don't deserve the care that I'm receiving? I'm asking that as a serious question. I know it's hypothetical, but I actually think that if your brain gives you an answer to that question, and that answer is actually an amount at which I am too much of a burden, I mean, don't tell me, obviously, I don't want to hear that. This is uh, just in your own head. What I mean is, it just shines a light on the internalized ableism that we have all absorbed from the culture. Because I can tell you what it felt like during the meltdown. My brain was thinking, okay, this one is too many. This is it. I don't deserve... Not only do I not deserve this relationship, but I don't deserve to be alive. It sounds so ridiculous, right? When you hear me saying that, but it feels very real from the inside of that emotional cascade experience at the time. And again, my life was not actually in danger. I was not making a plan, but those intrusive thoughts, they were so mean to me. I've worked so much on self-compassion and working with those internal voices that aren't mine that have been put on me from outside forces, it's as though they all just dredge right back up when I'm feeling like shit. For all the work I've done, those societal messages, the terrible shit my parents said to me, internalized ableism, all those things, my brain is able to access those when it is attacking me, for lack of a better term. And of course, if you were describing the exact same thing to me, there is no way in hell that I would think, that you didn't deserve to be loved or cared for because of one bad day. But for real, how many days like that? Like how high would my care needs be? Where would I be too much of a burden? And if the answer for you is basically limitless for me, that I deserve to be loved and cared for anyway, why does that apply to me and not to you in your head? And again, I mean that as a serious question. Is it because I've made these resources and I've helped a lot of people and I don't know, I'm a good composer. What about my situation makes me less of a burden on my partner and the other people who care for me? Because if there's any openness in your heart to this seed of an idea that you are not a burden and that 
everything that you think I might deserve or should have, or just that a person should have the care that in general people deserve, how much of that are you able to allow into your own internal experience? And by internal experience, I mean embodied experience. By the way, I don't suggest trying this on the worst days. Like I said, when your brain is in that spiral, you may have specific things that it helps to hear, but you're not going to change those thoughts, right? That's where we just need the physical interrupt, like sleep, movement, food, you know, electrolytes, water, or whatever it is that gets a state change going. It's not going to be thought-based. But on an okay day, if you're feeling okay, is there some space for you to feel like you deserve? Can you feel open to the idea that you deserve all of the care and love and resources and help that you've received so far already? Is there space to feel like you deserve all of the care and resources and love and support that you're going to receive in the future? And not only do you deserve it, no matter how much you need, you're not a burden. You deserve to be here and you are making the world a better place by just continuing to exist even though Lord knows the world is not set up for us and it's not really trying to help us live. Because of that, I think it's a radical act to love a brain and body that has been told by society literally that it does not deserve to be here. That's one vein of autism research right now that's trying to find genetic stuff to get rid of it. It's literally eugenics. We're being told that we don't deserve to exist. Disabled people have been told that, certainly in the society I'm in, for a very long time. And I think it is a radical and beautiful act to survive, to engage in community, to care for each other, and to help each other feel like we are not a burden, because sometimes we just can't get there on our own, and that's okay. I am not a burden. You are not a burden. And even if I were a burden to my partner, which I am not, and they're very clear about that, it wouldn't diminish anything else I'm doing in the world. I'm very grateful to have the support that allows me to not only put out resources like this podcast, but feel safe enough being seen. Y'all, the podcast has been out for five months today as I'm recording, and we're almost at 20,000 total listens. I hope that's okay to throw in there because the point very much is not that I am not a burden now because of what I'm doing. I needed every bit of support and love that helped me heal to get to the point where I could be in public in this way without panicking and burning it all down and changing my name and moving to another country, which is what me 10 years ago would have been considering with this kind of response from strangers. Even if I weren't doing this work, even when I've been laid out, depressed and burned out and stuck in PDA nervous system disability time, I deserved care through all of it. So maybe part of what I want to say today is... We are not a burden, but even if we are sometimes, that's okay. I want to be a part of communities where we can all carry each other sometimes. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking around when it's really fucking hard. You are not a burden. I love you. And I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for being here and taking a moment for yourself. I hope the episode sparks some ideas or possibilities for your own journey. If you're looking for gentle ongoing support, I invite you to join the Like Your Brain community. It's a non-hierarchical and no pressure space to share our lived experiences together and learn from each other. Ask authentic questions, share your own wisdom, and be a part of building a safer space for folks with identities that are often marginalized. 
And if you're not yet ready to be seen in a group space, we've all been there. You can join the podcast support tier, which has a private podcast feed with some of the learnings from Like Your Brain and additional podcast content. So you can absorb on your own terms and timeline. We're here whenever you're ready. The link is in the show notes or at patreon.com slash Mattia. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash M-A-T-T-I-A. Have a great week.